And good morning, everyone, or good evening, or good afternoon, whatever the case may be on this rotating globe. Tonight's show is going to be really, really interesting because we're going to be talking about frequencies, harmonics, the physics, and how it can be applied in all kinds of everyday situations to, to keep us well. My guest tonight is Sherry Edwards and Dr. Robert Rogers, and we're going to be talking about some really extraordinary things that touch on all our lives but are not currently known, including some things around 9-11 that I think you should be made aware of. Before we get to that, however, I want to direct your attention to Radio with Pictures. Remember how if you're using a smartphone or a computer or any other device, you go to the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, click on tonight's banner for Sherry Edwards. It's called Hyperdimensional Harmonics and Miraculous Healings. Click on that banner. That will take you to the guest page. Scroll down just a bit to my items and radio with pictures. Item number one, we have another hurricane called Lorenzo. This one is in the Atlantic. In fact, this one, if you click on that link and read the Washington Post story, this one is bizarre for several reasons. For First of all, it's the second Category 5 in the Atlantic in the hurricane season. The first, as you know, was Dorian a few weeks ago, and oh my God. Second, Hurricane Lorenzo is the farthest east and north that a Cat 5, as long as the Weather Service has been keeping records, has ever appeared in the Atlantic. So it's it's record breaking and it's heading. If you if you click on that link, you can see what's called the, sp- the spaghetti tracks. Those are the multiple tracks of the various computer models of highs and lows that are moving the storm, that are guiding the so-called steering currents for the storm. Now, as you know, I've had Dane Wigington on the show several times, and we're discussing geoengineering. And one can wonder: is in fact this an engineered storm? Um, I frankly tonight just looked and there it was staring me in the face. So I haven't had time to do any research. One of the things that I would look for in terms of a signature of a hurricane being steered or being tinkered with would be if, um, would be if you find lightning around the eye. Remember, Dane and I discussed this on our last show and it turns out to be a signature of tampering we go back through history and we look at the data on previous hurricanes. There's even a NASA website which lists um, electrical activity in and around the eye as extraordinarily abnormal because normally you get, can, you get lightning when you have convective activity. You get convective activity when there's um, surface temperature irregularities. When you're moving over an ocean, it's pretty uniform. So, the idea of convective thunderstorm activity in and around the eye, it's very rare. The hurricane hunters who fly those, I mean, those incredibly brave guys who fly the C-130s directly through the eye of hurricanes, tracking back and forth and dropping, you know, sun buoys so they can get temperature and pressure data going down to the surface of the ocean. They report that lightning in the eyes of hurricanes is very rare. But what I did find when I looked through the record is that the storms that NASA had measured were the independently the storms that we had assessed to be artificially tinkered with, modified. And it's those storms that we should be paying careful attention to. If someone wants to, while we're on the air tonight, um, look through the the um, weather service data and see if there, in fact, uh, are loops showing lightning in the eye. That would tell us if, in fact, this storm is being um, – I'm the operative term I'm using is tinkered with, if some kind of torsion field technology is being applied, which has the side effect of electrifying the thunderstorms in the eye, creating all the lightning we saw in Dorian. So if someone can go do that and then maybe send me a message through uh, through the website and Kintia will kind of keep, a, keep an eye on the contact – during the show for the other side of midnight and then she'll relay it to me in the Skype chat window and I will put it on the air and if you want your name mentioned 
by all means include it. If you don't, don't include it. Okay, let me know because sometimes I've I've acknowledged people and they get very upset that I you know put their name out on the air. So I have to you know be careful. Item number two and three, of course, are the extraordinarily horrifying, tragic, heart-wrenching images from Dorian. The folks in the Bahamas, those two northern islands, Grand Bahama and Abaco, are in desperate, dire, dire straits. So take a look at those links, and there are other links under it. There's B, C, D, and E for charity institutions where you can send money. Don't send canned food. Don't send blankets. Don't send, you know, baby wipes. Don't send pampers. Send money because money is fungible. Money can be allocated by the agencies on the ground who know the needs of the people. I mean, if you looked at these images, and again, you know, in your copious spare time, do that. It looks like that island, those two islands were subjected to, uh, you know, Nagasaki or Hiroshima-level atomic leveling. There, there are there are areas where there's nothing but ground and the geometry of foundations. It was scoured flat. I mean, the storm, a Cat 5, hung over Dorian for more than two days and scoured that landscape and decimated how many thousands of people. I mean, 60 to 70,000 people on those islands have been affected. We have not heard a recent death toll. The uh, Bahamian government was being very careful. Uh, I think the last numbers I saw were 50-some, but we know just looking at all that rubble, as far as the eye can see to the edge of the ocean, um, it was it was devastating. And we have live videos of people being rescued. So do not forget the victims of Hurricane Dorian, which both from Wigington's analysis and mine was unquestionably a guided um, technologically altered storm. And now we have a Cat 5 farthest north and farthest east in the Atlantic, in the northern Atlantic, heading for landfall in Britain and perhaps the Azores. Uh, we have to watch those spaghetti tracks carefully. Who in the hell is doing this and why? Um, again, we're going to have Dane back on the show and we're going to introduce some other aspects into the who and the why question. Finally tonight, in a somewhat interesting change of subject, if you look at link number four in my Radio with Pictures items, a major player in the whole ET uh, discussion, um, Abraham Loeb, who was the head of the Harvard University Astronomy Department, and of course, the head of the Harvard Observatory has come out with another another um, article. This one's saying that the moon could be considered to be a fishing net for extraterrestrial life. And if you click on the article, he not only talks about the potential for biological remnants of infalling um, meteors or asteroids, you know, tiny asteroids, meteorites. To the surface, which could then be scooped up and analyzed by future expeditions indicating, you know, the discovery of microbes or amino acids or whatever. But he even goes on to say that the moon, if we look at it carefully, could in fact be the recipient of infalling extraterrestrial technology. Now, Abraham is a bit behind the curve because, as you know, I and my colleagues for many, many years now have been publishing images from a variety of space agencies, from NASA, from uh, ESA, from the Russians, uh, all about uh, um, the idea that there are ancient artifacts all over the moon, including an extraordinary structure. We call it the lunar dome. It appears to extend in multiple layers over vast areas of the lunar surface as an ancient, ancient, almost now totally destroyed by micrometeorite abrasion, former celestial guard against something, either meteorite infall or perhaps to hold air pressure in. We're not quite sure what it was designed to do, but it's present in all kinds of data that we have, including 
the latest data from the Indian mission Chandrayaan-2 compared to the orbital images taken by the Israeli mission uh, Barashit, both of those those data sets show this ancient geometric, almost vanishingly thin now, ancient lunar structure. So Abraham Loeb may want to check out our data because in this very provocative for the mainstream uh, piece, the moon is a fishing net for extraterrestrial life. He boldly goes where very few mainstream astronomers are willing to go before. And he says the moon may be a catch-all for extraterrestrial technology. Well, I will go, Dr. Loeb, one better. It's not a catch-all. It's a place where it was built. And all we have to do is be patient and wait a little bit, and we will find that it is there. And then, of course, all bets are off as to what will happen next. Well, um, I want to segue into tonight's program, and I think of no better way to do it than perhaps in this way. Take a listen. Sherry Edwards has been accused of being too scientific by some, too esoteric by others, and in actuality, she is a bridge between both fields of inquiry. Sherry is the acknowledged pioneer in the emerging field of vocal profiling using bioacoustic biology. She has for many years provided the leading-edge research to show the voice as a holographic representation of the body that can be used to change the face of medicine. From birth to death, we use sounds to express our needs and emotions. But these are additional layers of information hidden within the words. In modern time, we possess only limited conscious awareness of this information for ourselves or as a means of interpreting the intentions of others. Voice profiling has the ability to let us know the intentions of our leaders, the motivations of our partners, the foundation of our sense of well-being, And would these abilities be of value in the struggle to attain dominion over our intrinsic right to personal freedoms? Imagine a future in which the individual frequency-based biomarkers contained within the voice can be used to keep us and our world healthy and emotionally balanced. Voice profiling software has been developed that can use the components of the voice, the human voice, to create a matrix of information about anyone, from fundamental DNA to the hidden intentions of those who claim to speak for us. Buckminster Fuller once said, in order to change something, don't struggle to change the existing model. Create a new model and make the old one obsolete. Sherry's intention is to demonstrate how the present system of health by governmental tyranny is both a tragedy and an opportunity for we the people to take charge of our own health using a new paradigm of self-health. Dr. Robert Rogers has a passion for helping persons with Parkinson's feel better using natural methods and therapies. His mother, diagnosed with Parkinson's, elected to take a variety of prescription drugs to treat her Parkinson's symptoms, her depression, and other medical problems. She eventually died from a coma that was aggravated by the deadly combination of medications she'd been taking for a number of different ailments. After graduating from Vanderbilt University with the undergraduate degree and Cornell University with his master's, Robert earned his Ph.D. from Michigan State University in 1981. He served as a faculty member at the University of Texas at Austin in the 1980s 
and was a professor and director of the Ph.D. and MHA programs at the University of Kentucky Martin School of Public Policy during the 1990s. Robert resigned university life in 2004 to found Zero Point Healers. He now pursues his passion for discovering and documenting natural remedies and therapies that help reverse the symptoms associated with a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. And Sherry and Robert work very closely together. That's why they're on tonight together. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the other side of midnight. Well, thank you. Great to be here. Hi, Sherry. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here, Richard. Hi, Robert. Well, um, the reason I played that little tune from Close Encounters is because I've talked an awful lot on the show about um, hyperdimensional physics. And there are key frequency numbers associated with the torsion field slash ether, which from my work and my research and experiments has a profound effect on living systems up to and including uh, human beings. As I was researching, Sherry, to do this show with you, it occurred to me that would be an appropriate intro because that was the major widescreen film that introduced people to the idea of frequencies as communication. And then, of course, in the part of my research, I happened to look upon a number because I was looking at what the tonal values of that harmonic sequence were really all about. And lo and behold, one of the major frequencies of the extraterrestrial tones as voiced by Steven Spielberg was one other than 195 hertz. 195, of course, being a metonymy harmonic of 19.5. So where should we begin this conversation? I I guess, Sherry, I should delve into some of your background first because the people, the audience always wants to know how my guests get into the fields of research that we talk about. So how did you wind up discovering that harmonics, vocal tones, frequencies can affect and be affected by uh, the human uh, organism? Totally by accident. (laughs) So it's serendipity with a capital S. Okay. Yes. It sort of developed itself. I was born with, we think, this very um, unusual talent, and we've used the talent to create the medicine of the future. Okay. When you say born with an unusual talent, what, what, what are we talking about? I can hear a sound from your ear, and I've been tested in all kinds of labs, that is a manifestation of the frequencies of your brain. Now, some people think it's coming from the ear. I think it's coming from the brain as it functions, and there's a whole lot more to that. Well, we have time. I can hear that. Pardon? I said we have time, so what's the whole lot more? Uh, how we begin to understand and listen. So there is a sound coming out of your ear. John Hopkins University proved it. And we have this dual system, waves and sounds out your mouth. So waves and sounds that I can hear out your ear. And when those mix and interfere with each other, I think that is how we perceive meaning. I can't prove it, but I think that is a part of our communication system, like a hive. So let me let me uh, look, let me try to understand this. You're saying that when when two people like you and I are talking to each other right now, when we're exchanging information through words, in this case in the form of English, there is also a hidden subtext going on which is the modulation of our voice, our tonality, our timing, our phrasing. And humans subconsciously are interpreting that as part of the information stream in addition to the words, and that's what gives them the total meaning in a conversation. Yes, and we've broken that code because not only is it words and meaning and perceptions, but it's how our body is run. And I'd like to bring in something out of an article that I just wrote. It's about James Gates, and he and his students found mathematical structures 
in plants when they were doing a, a project over the summer. And they found this math that's indistinguishable from error-correcting codes of digital information, meaning that those plants are somehow a simulation. And from what we found out in this hive sound, we also think we broke the code of humans. So, wait, wait, I'm, I, I, I think you lost me. You're saying that the plants are communicating through audio frequencies that these guys measured? What they found was a computer code inside the plants. So they sort of figured that these plants are a simulation that put here to control or support humans. Hmm. Now we, now we on our side know that we can regrow parts. We can look at what's going on in your mind by looking at the recurrent laryngeal nerve that runs the vocal cords, and we've broken those codes mathematically. So I would like to say that humans, as you're describing pieces from the moon and what they said was going on in Mars, Billions of years ago, we blew ourselves up. Maybe we are very sophisticated, self-programming robots. And Hmm. we communicate with each other as a hive through these sounds that I'm hearing through the ear. Okay, let me me go back because I want to know who who is Sherry Edwards because many of our audience probably are not familiar with your background and your bio doesn't really say how you got into all this. Start back when the serendipity happened. What were you? What was your, you know, your educational background? A bit on that, and then how did you trip over serendipitously the idea that frequencies can communicate a lot more than just words? Okay, I'm going to share with your audience something that I don't share easily, and that's when I was five years old. I had a UFO encounter, and I started toward this silver cigar thing and I had a dancing picture on the outside of it like a hologram the next thing I knew I'm going toward it and then I blanked out and was trying to walk back to the farmhouse and I took a step and would bling up over the trees and I thought boy if this stops while I'm up here it's going to be a long fall Wait, 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 wait. Hang on, hang on. You're you're a kid on a farm somewhere in the Midwest, and you're coming back to the house, and you take a step, and you literally, like Superman in the comics, vault to the height of a tree? We were above the trees. My cousin and I were together, and we just boinged up over the trees, and it was scary. Two of you. But from that, pardon? Two of you. Two of you. From that point forward, I could hear the sounds from people. Well, wait, wait, wait. Do you, do you do you know? Hang on a sec. Do you know why this happened? Don't have the slightest idea. So you're just playing in the yard, and you're going back to your house on an evening in in summer, I presume. And you're walking back or running back, as kids do, and suddenly you take a giant, giant leap, and you're at the Above the treetops. Yeah, we were out in the woods and found this thing. What thing? And trying to walk. Pardon? What thing? I missed the thing part. Cylinder-shaped cigar. Okay. With dancing figures on the outside of it, triangles. Was this lying on the ground? Yes, kind of sideways. Our uh, parents tried to convince us it was some kind of weather balloon. How? How? Hang on. Let's go through this very methodically because this is a huge part of what got you into what you're doing. You know, how big was this cylinder? Yeah. Probably three times as tall as I was, and I was five years old. Okay, and it's lying there in the woods. It's up against a tree and a hill. Kind of at a thirty-degree angle, kind of on its side. Okay, what but color? Not much on its side. What, this month. 
What it's color was right. it? Silver. Silver with dancing illuminated geometry on it? Yes, I see that later at holograms. Oh, my, my, my. And so did you touch it? I don't know. I took my cousin's hand and we walked toward it, but I never remember getting there. The next thing, we were walking slowly, trying to get back to the house after the scary event. And we'd take a, a normal step, and it would be like there was no gravity. We just boomed oh up over the... Oh, my gosh. Sherry, something changed your frequency interaction with the Earth's gravitational field. Because gravity is only a frequency. Happened. Gravity is only a modulated yes. frequency in the, in, the, in the torsion field. So whatever... Did you have missing time? Absolutely. Do you know how long? Somewhere around two hours. Oh, my God. This is really extraordinary. And you say that among the the figures on the cylinder, the silver cylinder tilted against the hill at about a 30-degree angle and roughly, what, three times your kid's height? Yeah. Okay. Among those geometric forms, there were triangles? Yes. Hmm. Interrelated triangles. I'm gonna have to turn off my speakers. Yeah, that'd be Here, probably interrelated. Interrelated triangles. There were three triangles that each shared a piece setting on one. It's a, it's our logo. If people look on our website, and it is. There's two more things, but it's incredible what goes on with that. Okay, I'll tell you what. Hold and it there. Was... Hold it there because we're at the bottom of the hour. This will give you time to adjust your um, uh, sound so that we don't get the the people trying to get hold of you and calling you. And we will then return, and um, you can give out your website. I'm not sure. Um, maybe Kinthea can tell me in the window if we have it listed. We probably we usually list websites next to next to your items in Radio with Pictures. If not, we will. You're on the other side of midnight, everyone. My guest this morning um, is um, Sherry Edwards. And Dr. Robert Rogers, who is her colleague now, working with her in this extraordinary level of acoustic profiling and analysis. And what we've just heard, it it all appears to have begun when she and a friend of hers, maybe a relative, I forget it was a relative or cousin, are walking in the woods and they encounter something, a huge cylinder, three, four times their height, tilted against a hill, silverish with geometric holographic forms dancing on the surface. And among those are triangles. And for those of you that may have been following our work, remember triangles are key to the hyperdimensional physics codes. We shall return. Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership cost $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com.
And welcome back, everyone, to The Other Side of Midnight. My guest this morning, I actually have two guests. We'll bring Robert on in a moment, but this is extraordinary. Sherry Edwards is out in the woods with her cousin when she's just a little kid. And it, it was your cousin, right? Yes. Okay. And you encountered this thing. And then when you reconstruct it with your parents, you have like a couple hours of missing time and you're going back to the house and you take these huge, giant, boing, boing, boing steps. I mean, how did you get down? Just slowly floated. And it's happened several times after that when we were young. Oh, really? So somebody really did a number on you and readjusted your frequency interaction with the torsion field slash Earth's gravitational field. Yes, and it all moves together into what Dr. Rogers is going to tell you, because it's something I've kept hidden for a lot of years, but we're going to bring it out. Hmm. When I was older, I, I, well, at that time, I started to have different color eyes, and um, my body was different each day. It was kind of like I couldn't stay in it. And later, I wrote to Ruth Montgomery in just a few simple sentences, and said, is it possible when there's a walk-in or a walk-out, is it possible two people, that they stayed in the body? And that's all I wrote, and I wrote it to her publisher within a week. And that was 30 years ago. She wrote back and said, the psychologist Sherry Edwards, when she was six years old, when she and her cousin found a cigar-shaped cylinder in the woods. Now, I'd, we'd never called it that, but Ruth Montgomery did from all of her mediumship hmm. and she was off a year scared me silly but at that point i was in psychology and, and it was like blue green man and it just scared me but at that point i also knew that i could hear these sounds uh, the trees the people i could hear things from them that they weren't actually saying hmm and so this goes on, and I try to find out what's really happening. I'm working in the speech and hearing department and find out that these sounds I'm hearing are really um, not there. So I tried to prove they were, and soon John Hopkins University came out with literature that said that there's an autoacoustic emission. And I realized that that's what I was using when my, my brother got hit with an axe. I was using sounds to calm him down. I was using sound with the animals. We lived in the woods. We had no electricity and no plumbing, no nothing. Oh, my gosh. And I think maybe my hearing developed because we didn't have any of that interference. But as I was working in this department and trying to – hearing department and find, trying to find out what my ears were hearing – I also had my DNA tested, hmm. and I have several percentage points of my DNA that they can explain. Maybe tonight, my t remember, my choice of close encounters had nothing to do with this story. I had no idea that you even had this experience, and so maybe, maybe you're influencing me at some other level. Um, let me let me go back to to these experiences as as a child. Would you say this happened several times when you were growing up? Did it happen in front of other people? Did it happen in school? Did it happen, you know, at, at, at social settings, parties or whatever? I mean, it A, would have been very embarrassing to be walking on the ceiling suddenly. And B, how, how did other people react? It would only happen if I had hold of my cousin's hand. And the two times I remember, these big older cousins were chasing us in the barn, and we were like on the second floor, and I grabbed her hand, and we were going to jump out the window, but we just floated to the ground. Hmm. Another one, uh, we just floated down the staircase. Oh, my gosh. Huh. So but the story that Dr. Rod is going to tell you will bring this all together in that there's things that are undiagnosed, incurable, whatever, and I can listen 
to the person. I can look at a photograph, listen to somebody talk about them, and I could hear a sound. And I can see the sound mathematically. And then I have to go find out what the sound means. Well, it's, and it that seems- has been... It, it, it seems obvious to me, Sherry, that this encounter in the woods somehow changed you profoundly or awakened dormant facilities in you, maybe specifically, directionally, it was by intention. Someone wanted you to have these talents and abilities when you, you know, became an adult. But it was it was it was that encounter that triggered this extraordinary ability that you've now you know, manifested in a profession and in, you know, healing experiences and analysis and all that. What do you think? Well, there's another piece to it. Those triangles have mass. And oh, when we were yes. trying to discover, yep, when we're trying to discover what I was hearing and putting it into music based on that mass, when you look at our logo and you turn it a certain way, it's the Templar cross and that's the math that we use to back off disease Hmm. let me bring robert in on this robert um i'm going to skip around tonight because you know obviously this is not a logical sequence of, of events i mean sherry you really surprised me with this story but it's it puts everything else in context how robert how did you get in touch with sherry and wind up working with her my mission that I said about 15 years ago was to open up all possibilities that might offer healing for individuals diagnosed with neurological conditions. So instead of doing what I had done as a professor for many years, which is to really look at a very, very narrow question and then tweak it just a little bit, and really not make much of a contribution. I just stepped out of that quagmire of activity and decided that what I was going to do with my life is to take what I thought was one of the most difficult questions imaginable, and that is what factors are causing a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease, and once you know what those factors are, what kind of therapies and treatments and approaches can essentially address those causes so that a person can get well. So I really began to just say, okay, I'm going to look out there in the universe, and I'm going to search for people who are looking at this issue from a very, very novel and different perspective. So it didn't matter who it was or what kind of ideas or perspective they had. That drew my attention. And then all I needed was to have one person with Parkinson's disease who would report back to me, because I have a global audience. They would say, listen, You're not going to believe this, but I really had this really remarkable recovery because I used this technology, this sound therapy from a person by the name of Sherry Edwards. And I thought, oh, really? (laughs) Okay, so I had one person who said, I got well. That's all I needed. And, of course, what I could very quickly see was this is an approach that's very different from prescribing medicines or doing surgeries. So well, it would it would roughly Roger Roger Robert it would fall into the category of energy medicine, right? That's exactly right. We're talking about frequencies, so you can get into the area of lights, or you can get into the area of sound. And this was sound, and so I thought, okay, let's get Sherry on my radio show. Let's talk with her about what she's doing. Let's interest people who have Parkinson's symptoms to uh, connect with her and begin to get analyses of their voice prints. So Sherry would volunteer in my radio show to do free analyses of voice prints that were submitted by members of my audience. So what the members would do is they would get a microphone. You had to have a special microphone that could pick up low tones. And they would do a little 40-second recording and then submit that, maybe two recordings, and submit that to Sherry. And Sherry devoted countless hours to being able to do analyses of these voice prints. And then – So hang on, hang, to, hang on, Robert. When you say low tones, you mean, are we talking infrasonic below the level where the ear normally picks up that's, sound? That's right. That's right. Yeah, really, what you're talking really low tones. A lot of them we don't even hear. Like what frequencies are we talking about? 
Sherry, <laughs> go. Uh, we we work verbally with anything that's about 16 cycles per second up to about uh, 64. Ah. But we can perceive things as low as two and three. Okay. Now, when you say you we can, hear them. when you say we can perceive, are we talking about Sherry Edwards or are we talking about technology, machines? Both. Okay. I created um, the idea of the machines that can do this, and they can pick up it's a calibration mic, and okay, they can okay. pick up very, very low sounds, but we give you back the sound to entrain your brain, which you'll hear a miracle here in a minute. Okay, so and so that, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to dis, dis, you know deconstruct this so people can understand. You have this experience in the woods. I want to go back to this, you know, how you got into this. <clears throat> At what point in your development did you realize that this was a talent for analysis and it could enhance people's lives? This this unique ability that somehow you you got at a very early age. I could do it but I didn't know what I was doing. I was just playing along with what was being fed to me. And then my daughter had a really bad accident. Sue won't talk about it right now. Wait, wait, wait. What, um, do you mean, what do you mean what was being fed to you? Um, it's like talking to yourself. Yeah. Um, a baby in the hospital born with bad lungs. They brought me in. The baby was gray. I was given a sound. I did it. We could watch the baby pink up. Um, but there's so many tangents. To I was going to say, you know, this, this is let's let's try to be a little linear here, because you start out with this experience, you and your cousin. It then you have other interesting events happen as you're growing up. What? Try to be a little linear. What what got you into medicine, into healing, into? You said you started out playing with this. Um, did you just experiment? Did you, I mean, what was the, what was the point when you realized I can, I can use this to make people better? I guess there wasn't a point I could take away migraines. I could tell people what they were thinking, uh, and it scared people. And so I just kept it quiet for a long, long time. But there's absolute events. So wait, wait, wait. You, would people come to you, or would you be in a social setting like a party or a, a family gathering, and someone would say, "Oh, I've got a splitting headache," and you'd say, "What? I can, I can help you." No, I would just hum the sounds, and their headache would go away. But you did you tell them what you were doing? No, because I didn't know what I was doing. So it was totally instinctual. It's like whatever had happened to you in the woods stuck with you for years and years and years. And then when you're in situations where people are not feeling well, you just automatically realize you can make them better by tuning into them and giving them acoustic input. Absolutely. My daughter had a bad accident. She ripped the lower part of her leg off. Oh, my God. Well, all and I, we were 45 minutes from help. We, I did the tones. She stayed calm. We got her to the hospital. Uh, she was in the hospital 49 days, and they don't understand why she didn't die. So I were you? Uh, oh, she, I mean, if she had something horrible like that happen to her leg, did you put a tourniquet on? Which she must have been bleeding awfully profusely. She didn't bleed two tablespoons. So the acoustics somehow helped her control the blood flow. Somehow. And my husband and I at that point, I've just been playing with this before then. My husband and I at that point decided if we can create a sound that can save a child's life and not a parent would have to watch him die, that's what we commit our life to. So roughly how old were you when this happened with your daughter? She uh, was about 14, and I'm 71. So, um, well, maybe it's easier. It just, was just, just, in just, the 90s. just. It was, yeah. What, what years would be better? Maybe. Oh, she's born in 65. So, 
in the early 80s or late 70s. Oh, my. So that was the turning point. That was the turning point where it got really – I mean, if you could keep her alive and the doctors say, how the hell did you do this? Because she only lost a couple of tablespoons of – I mean, an injury like that is catastrophic normally. Yes. And we don't – that's not the only one that we don't know what happened. We just know I did the sounds intuitively, and it worked. Okay, and so at that, that point, point this, this is one of those I used to call them nodal points in, in my life, you know, where life takes a major turn. You and your husband decide that you have something that needs to be really developed. What did you do at that point? Yes. We started doing sounds for people by hand, and then we found the pattern, and then we computerized it, um, and it just kind of had a life of its own. Well, walk us through the details. You do this, you started doing this with your own voice, just knowing somehow what frequencies. Do you do you warble? Do you sing? Do you do monotones? I mean, can can you give us a demonstration? Radio is very audio, so you know. It isn't um, pleasant sounding except to the person. I'll do yours, Richard, but I'm going to turn away from the phone. Okay. Did it peg your machine? Uh, let me look. I wasn't looking. I was looking at the screen. Go ahead. Uh, it kind of sounds like that. Um, when you were talking before, you had a lot of B notes in your voice, so that's all about nerves and caring for other people and caring for the future. So just by hearing these tones, I knew things, but I was so stupid. I said, I don't know why everybody can't do this. Can't you listen to what's in your ears? <laughs> and it, then, the, then the sound went away. And I, I couldn't hear it for like three or four days. And I thought I'd go crazy. I didn't know how much I depended on hearing those sounds from people. So when I'm talking, when I'm talking, you're hearing certain frequencies and you're interpreting those sounds in terms of my what health, my psychology, what I'm thinking, both. Hmm. You're insatiably curious. <laughs> You're a multitasker. You love the future, and you love to bring information back to people to help them make a better pattern for their future. That's why your voice says to me. Hmm. Now, when you started to systematize this, how did you what, – what was the institutional framework? In other words, you, you kept your daughter alive at 14. Doctors say this is impossible. Did you tell them what you did? Yes, they already knew because I'd already been teaching the nurses there, laying on the hands Healy and Dolores Krieger because I could focus this energy out my hands as well as do it with my um, voice. Mm -hmm. But what was going on is nobody's going to pay attention to somebody that's psychic or freakic or whatever. So (laughs) I started going to school. I think you just coined a new term. Sherry, I think you just coined a new term, freakic. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, So I, on my lunch hours, went, to school to get a degree. I knew nobody was going to listen to me. And it took me 12 years to get a degree. Wow. uh, At the university. But I got, well, lunch hours, but I got some information about sort of what this was doing, but it was really so far ahead of anything that was out there. And I consider we've always been about 20 years or more ahead of the curve on what's going on with this. But it's so profound how it happens. And my real reason was to help children. And then it it just expanded. And now we can help people that the medical profession have just kind of thrown away. And that's the story of uh, Dr. Rogers' daughter that he was talking about. Um, since we're going to be skipping around tonight, Rod, Robert, why don't you come back in and talk about 
the major encounter in terms of your daughter with Sherry and her, her talents and her analysis? Oh, I'd be delighted to. So my daughter, Adrienne, has had, I guess, for at least two or three decades, a persistent problem with pain episodes, debilitating. And she, over the last couple of years, had a significant increase in the frequency and the severity of those episodes. Every other day, usually in the evening, the episode would emerge, excruciating pain. Uh, she really could not tolerate it, quite frankly. So Adrian wind up going in and out of hospital settings, and uh, beginning in uh, actually Christmas time, for about four months, Adrian was in hospitalization and seeing one specialist after another. Everybody was trying to figure out what in the world was causing these pain episodes. So she had test after test, diagnostic after diagnostic, and no one really could figure out what was causing the problem. And, of course, that had been the case for the couple of decades before. Since, uh, as her dad, I was always curious about trying to figure out, well, what really is causing this problem? So I was able to get her out of the hospital. She had gotten really very sick, and even the hospital was saying, well, we think uh, she really ought to just be referred to hospice care in a nursing facility, and you need to just sign this form that says she doesn't need any more care. And I said, no, 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 I'm sorry, but she's much too young. I'm sure we'll be able to figure out a solution to this. So I was able to go, and because she was so disabled, she really wasn't viewed to be a person that could take care of herself. Yeah, let me, let me, ask, a, let me ask Robert a couple of questions. What were her symptoms? Well, dehydration uh, was one. Number two, she would vomit when she had the episodes. Number three, she would shake, so she would tremor. Uh, was this pain, like an epileptic fit? No, no, no. It was more shaking. Uh, it didn't always occur, but it occurred uh, really more frequently yeah. as the episodes began to escalate. Okay. The pain was always in her lower sacrum, that is in the lower part of her spine, and also in her head. So it was always in the same places. And no opiates helped. I mean, she probably was in and out of emergency rooms at least 50 or 60 times over the last 20 years. And the medical people would look at that and they say, well, okay, you have some pain. We'll give you an opiate. And initially, Adrian was willing to try some of that, but nothing really helped. And I have to say, I think if the opiates really did provide her with some relief, she probably would have been willing to go ahead and, you know, go that route. But they didn't. The opiates didn't help. They would give her anti-vomiting medication. That didn't help. They would give her all kinds of medical possibilities, and nothing really was successful. And she wasn't really open to a lot of prescription medicines. She intuitively knew that that really I was going to say help. very good instincts. Yeah, no, she knew that and didn't really like that idea. Now, Adrian had a diagnosis uh, from her birth of uh, a connective tissue uh, kind of a challenge called Marfan syndrome. And one of the speculations was it might have had something to do with connective tissue. But again, the medical people didn't really uh, have any strong idea of what was causing it. And they certainly didn't have any solution for her. So my feeling was, okay, we've given that the the lion's share of an effort. We've done the best we can to see if the medical profession can help her out, and that's just not worked. And after all, it's been 20 years, especially the last, you know, four months before she was able to get out of the hospital. So I, all of a sudden, for some kind of coincidence, uh, wound up begin thinking about Sherry and all the wonderful work that she had done. And Sherry then uh, was able to take some voice prints of Adrian's one while she was in an episode and one while she was not. Mm. And Sherry actually worked on this challenge, I think, for seven days, maybe uh, ten days uh, off and on. Of course, she has a lot of other responsibilities, but she really thought and worked and tried to figure out what really is the reason why Adrian has these episodes. Obviously, very unusual. The set of symptoms was unique. Uh, it doesn't fit any kind of condition or diagnostic condition. So what's really causing this? 
So Sherry worked and worked, and then she finally crafted a couple of rare possibilities. One of them, as it turned out, the report was there might have been, and I say might with a strong M, 20 people in the world that had this particular condition. It's like, whoa, that's pretty rare. So I thought, great. And then Sherry said, okay, Robert, listen, uh, obviously this is my work, and I'd like to get some confirmation about this. So can you take my suspicion over to her medical doctor and have her medical doctor do some tests so we can get a confirmation from this? I said, Sherry, I'm happy to. I happen to be with Adrian at the time. So we went to a visit to her medical doctor, who was really quite wonderful. She's a really marvelous person. And I asked her, could you possibly do some tests to figure out if this diagnostic uh, um, possibility and hypothesis is correct or not? She said, I'd be happy to look into it. And so she looked and investigated, talked to some neurologists and other specialists, and then called me up about 10 days later and said, listen, I'm sorry, but we don't really have any tests that can support what it is that you're suspecting you know, might be happening. And I made it very clear, well, this was just a, a theoretical possibility. We didn't have any you know, firm idea if this was the case or not. And I have to confess, I didn't really tell her where it came from because I didn't think she really knew anything about the pioneering work of Sherry Edwards. So we didn't have any medical confirmation of this, but then, of course, the next step in all of this was for Sherry to construct some tones, some sounds that would address Adrian's imbalances. And so I was able to then purchase a speaker that played very, very low tones, a very special speaker. We acquired the tone box that she had programmed the tones into, And then basically the idea is you first want to have my daughter listen to each of the 21 or 22 tones that Sherry had programmed, given what she had found in the analysis of the voice print, and to see whether or not Adrian was receptive to that tone, because it's a way of just figuring out, okay, does her body need to receive that sound or not? So we played it. I was with her. We looked at her. I said, okay, Adrian, is that good or not? And only one of them really was not quite what she would have hoped it to be. So I told Sherry that. And then what happens is uh, we basically turn this on at night, and it it's listened to over the course of pretty much the night with some breaks. You don't want to listen to these tones continuously because it's like being over-medicated. I mean this is medicine by ear. So uh, tell you what, Robert, hold on. We're at the top of the hour. My guests this morning are Sherry Edwards and Dr. Robert Rogers, and we'll come back to Robert's riveting story about what happened with his daughter when Sherry Edwards got involved with countering this bizarre disease with tones. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out.